Good morning and welcome to Behind Wyoming Energy. I'm your host, Mark Hamilton, and today we'll take a look at some current news. We'll look at these oil prices, which are up and down. Also, we'll take a look at some other happenings that are going on around the U.S. and in the state. We had a recent lease sale. We'll get the results from that. Also, we'll talk about, in our history section, about the oil camps and their impact on the state of Wyoming. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy the show. energy news here on the 21st day of November. West Texas Intermediate Crude, you're trading at 79.86 here around lunchtime. Earlier this morning, it was at 75.82 on some news of potential OPEC increasing output, but now it's come back off that 75.82 to 79.86. The same with Brent crude, which was at 83.18 early this morning. Now back up to 87.51. It's amazing how the news of the world can just affect this oil price just that drastically. They hear a rumor, everybody gets a little panicky, and they find out the OPEC has come out and said they are not going to increase volumes of oil on the market. It really doesn't make sense for OPEC to do that, to drive that price down. They want to keep the price up. So natural gas is at 6.779. The National average for unleaded fuels at 3662. Here in Wyoming, it's at 3562. So it's coming down. Diesel, unfortunately, hasn't come down a lot. It's still at 5347. Continuing on with that uh, prices, I did see some news that the Biden administration is going to try to do something to try to alleviate some of the issues with diesel supply. Going to be interesting to see what kind of plans they may have it, it looks pretty tough right now right now with the world market for diesel with everything going on um, we'll talk about that at, at some other time about the markets also rig count for the state of wyoming or is at 24 national 762 price of coal in the powder river is down to 1710 that's kind of a head scratcher right now with heading into this point but again the Railroads are having an issue, and it's still in the news. They had came out, the Biden administration had said they had solved this, and it really was not solved. That's just normal a, a front. There are still some issues with the railroads going on. Potential strike still hanging out there, so that would have a major impact on these coal markets. In other news, this comes from Rare Earth Resources in a press release. Uh, they announced that they had been awarded a $4.4 million grant from the Wyoming Energy Authority to be utilized for the advancement of the company's rare earth element processing and separation demonstration plant project in Upton, Wyoming. The grant is a cost reimbursement award for future expenditures related to the project, which is all supported by the U.S. Department of Energy through a previously announced financial award. The total project cost is approximately $44 million with $21.9 million provided through the Department of Energy. The Rare Earth Processing and Separation Plant Project, led by General Atomics, an affiliate of the company's largest shareholder, Synchron, is nearing the final design review milestone, which is expected to be complete by the end of the year. This milestone will allow the company to advance through the first go no-go decision point with the DOE. 
Upon the DOE's approval to proceed, the Wyoming Energy Authority's grant will be available to the company, subject to the details to be contained in a memorandum of understanding between the company and the state of Wyoming. Rather interesting. I have looked into this pretty extensively. There is some potential for this project. We just hope that we can get this thing off the, the ground and, and actually in operation. And there's a lot of stuff has to happen, so we'll keep close tabs on that. In other good news, the Wyoming Office of State Lands and Investment completed their third of three oil and gas leases scheduled for this year. And really good results. Uh, the auction re uh, resulted in 70 of 193 parcels receiving successful bids to lease a total of 18,573 acres. The auction grossed $5,588,000 for the benefit of 10 of the state's trust beneficiaries. The state's common school fund will receive $1.4 million from the total auction revenue. So again, they're showing some interest out there. As you see, that a lot of these tracks were not picked up, but um, we did get uh, some pretty good prices with everything going on, and most likely those are in the Powder River into the Niobrara Play in the eastern part of Wyoming. And finally, in natural gas news, Freeport McMoran out of Texas, their LNG facility. They had a fire a few months back. They were going to start up a little bit earlier. It looks like it might be delayed now until March, which will have an impact. And it's actually helped here in the U.S. because we've had a lot of gas going to gas storage, which is a big plus because it's kind of a concern that with LNG going overseas, what we're going to do with this gas storage here for us in the U.S. And right now it looks like we're going to have a heavy heating load the way the winter has came on. I hope that uh, we all have prepared for this. But as you've heard in different places in Europe where they're starting to see some issues with heating, they have gone back to, in Germany, it looks like they're going to start up some coal fire plants. It's the point whether you want to um, not have natural gas or have heat or you want people to freeze. And I guess the people are the ones that are, are the voters and the politicians have to listen when people are freezing in their homes that we've got to have some type of power. Today in our history section for oil and gas here in the state of Wyoming, had an opportunity here recently to do a presentation on the history of oil and gas in the state of Wyoming and looking at the Bighorn Basin, taking a look at some of the fields that were discovered, the refineries, pipelines, and the camps of these oil fields. It was rather interesting because I didn't really know the extent of the camps. I heard about the oil camps, and I happened to come across a book, The Portrait in Oil by Hartzell Spence, and this is a book on how the Ohio Company became Marathon Oil. And there were some interesting segments in here, and I want to share a couple because Mr. Spence is just an outstanding writer, and it's really entertaining. And in the camp life, the Spartan camp life that prevailed in the early Ohio oil camp development of Wyoming and Montana has provided some of the company's most interesting history. Man fought continuously against terrain and climate. In summer, desert heat chafed the countryside and dried the riverbeds. In winter, blizzards drove snowdrifts 10 to 15 feet high. At any season, Chinook-type winds switching from southwest to north or the reverse might cause a temperature variation of 40 degrees within an hour. At the last creek camp, a water pipe froze. A veteran camper scanning the pebble-clouded sky said, No use doing anything about it now. It'll thaw in about an hour. In a few minutes, the winds veered, pushing the thermometer up to 38 degrees. The countryside was bleak and deeply gullied. Valleys of sparse grazing 
were hemmed by dour, eroded hills, tumbleweeds, and sagebrush uprooted by the autumn blows, scourged like cattle stampedes across the plains, intimidating everything in dust. The rock outcrops and the loose, mud-brown soil were havens for myriad of rattlesnakes. Up towards Montana, marked differences contrasted the landscape. Vast, undulating prairies, scarred by gullies and tumored with buttes, feebly nurtured thin grass, which battled the encroachment of clumps of greasewood, as ugly as crude oil except in May, when it bloomed the hills is blue. Scratched the surface and from the subsoil, white alkali that shriveled cultivation and poisoned the water. One of the camp jokes was that even a crow carried a knapsack and canteen when he ventured into open country. Even so, the land yielded grudgingly savory to the scrawny cattle and flocks of sheep. A few wild elk and a sage chicken. Ranch houses were so far apart that no one ever locked a door. Travelers, finding no one at home, helped themselves to lodging and water. All this was at an attitude a mile high. In accounts of the travel in the book, on this one occasion, John Burgess, while superintendent at Lanscrick, stalled his car in a drift during a 15 below zero blizzard. He walked it to a ranch house five miles away, returned with a shovel, and found no drift remain in front of his car. A shifting wind had blown away the obstruction. Danny Griffin, hurrying from Casper to Rollins to catch a train, was overtaken by a similar storm and lost his way. While trying to relocate the dirt bed that served as the road, he encountered another tire mark in the snow and followed them. After an hour, he realized that the tracks were his own. He had made several complete circles. One thing that happened at the camps, of course, you have camp sizes of 500 people or more, and they were self-contained cities where everything was provided. There was living quarters. There were post offices. Everything you can imagine were in these camps. And the women of the camps are what a lot of the tales came out. And this one relates to a superintendent's wife, and her name was Mrs. Smith. One night during a blizzard, a herd of cattle driven before the storm sought refuge in the lee of Mrs. Smith's house. The crush was so powerful against the exterior wall that it bulged, and several of the upright timbers cracked. Mrs. Smith sat out the night in a rocking chair, a baby asleep in each of her arms, expecting the house to collapse at any moment. The Mule Creek camp was on a ridge, unprotected from the blasts of winter. Snow often drifted as high as the house ridge bowl. When this happened, Mrs. Smith calmly waited for someone to shovel a path from the outside. On one occasion, she was shut in for five days. Mrs. Smith pitched in as a temporary cook for the 200 bachelors when, as often happened, the camp had no cooks. The men would always know when she was in the kitchen because she put the fruit in sauce dishes instead of slopping it on the plate in the meat and potatoes. And she made gravy, which few of the professional cooks would do. With doctors far away and expensive, the camp women devised the homely remedies of pioneer days to suffice them. They made croup salve from wild goose fat mixed with turpentine. The crude oil, abundant at hand, became, as it had been in colonial times, the exler that healed wounds and settled internal disorders. And what was amazing of that account is the life that everyone lived. Looking at different accounts and of people talking about their lives in the camp, this was a tight-knit community. And the children, everybody just enjoyed it. And they really learned a valuable lesson of life in these camps. They had a lot of outdoor opportunities. And it's something that they carried forward and will carry on to their grave. And in another, in a short piece here in the book, I wanted to share. The peace and the serenity of the Great West settled in the bones of the oil men. 
and most of their children remained to help develop the towns and ranches, the city, county, and town governments, the school system, and the cultural life of today's maturity. And that really was a characteristic of Wyoming. Further reading from the book, and this section was talking about the life that, of course, the workers had their work to go to, but according to this part of the story, women and children like camp, they had none of the pressures and perils of men's employment. By city standards, their neat four-room houses were inelegant, but the housekeeping was simple except during dust storms. The company bachelor mess was at hand for frequent family dining out at 50 cents for a roast beef dinner. The school was accredited by city standards far above the local norm. With time and abundance and no such involvements as PTA, Missionary Society, Garden Club, Country Club, or League of Women Voters, no crosstown fairing of children, no worrying about late dates for the teenagers, no downtown shopping, none of the urgent status-seeking of an organized municipality. Women made their own society and the children their recreation, much of it out of doors. I can only imagine the life of these people in these camps. And actually, during the periods that we're talking about, when you're looking at what was going on in the U.S. the early years, we did have World War I, and then we had the Great Depression. And that's when a lot of these people were in these camps. These camps started back in the late 1920s, early 1910s, like 1915 and on, when you start having accounts of different camps in different places, especially here in the state of Wyoming. Grass Creek, Lance Creek, Elk Basin were just a few. Of course, Salt Creek was a very big area for camps. And McFadden, down near Rock River. I can only imagine the nights in the camp. They were quite a neat-looking camp. Everything was kept up. But I can only imagine the nights out there at 7,000-plus foot elevation with the wind blowing. If you're familiar with that area, it can get rather windy, and I imagine it was very cold. But everyone just enjoyed that time, and it's just absolutely a prize to me on people sharing this information. And then when you have an opportunity for such a great writer as Hartzell Spence, who has done so much great work and has that ability to tell a story that you can sit back and, and you can visualize it. There's not a lot of people like that anymore that write, but the camp life here in the state of Wyoming, was something that people will always remember, and it's part of our heritage here in the state of Wyoming. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you enjoyed our show. And for the Code of the West, we ride for the brand, and we ride for energy here at Behind Wyoming Energy, your everything Wyoming energy podcast.